Welcome to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. In this podcast series, every two weeks, host Audrey Dove shares with you a new topic related to innovation and its impact for the legal world, with a special focus on intellectual property. My guests today are Paul McGrady and Todd Williams. Paul is a partner at Fast Law in Chicago. His practice is trademarks, domain names, social media, and privacy related. He is the INTA Internet Committee Chair. Todd handles digital enforcement and domain names efforts for Turner Broadcasting, which owns and operates more than 100 news and entertainment networks all around the world, including CNN. He is currently the co-vice chair of the Internet Committee, and he has worked on domain names advocacy for more than seven years. They share with us their unique experience and expertise related to domain names, going back to basics and explaining what's hot in this area, including their views on the opportunities created by new technologies. Todd, could you give us an overview of domain name status, their evolution, and their place today in the intellectual property ecosystem? It's basically an identification of an internet resource, which could be a particular computer network service, and it's using a text-based label as opposed to the numerical address that the particular internet protocol would use because that's easier to remember, right? So let's use CNN.com, which is one of our domains as an example, just to kind of set some nomenclature. So the portion of the domain to the right of the dot in that example is what's called the top-level domain. There are what are called generic top-level domains, GTLDs, and the, historically there were about 20 of those, of which .com was by far the most popular. That has changed. Since about 2012, there have been the introduction of new GTLDs in the several hundreds, which are themselves split into basically two categories, those that are open, meaning anybody can register a domain in that space, and those that are either closed or have some sort of restrictions around them. And a lot of the closed new GTLDs uh, are operated by brands as a space for their brand. And certainly that's something that INTA has been focused on. Um, the other type of top-level domain are country code-specific, what are called CCTLDs. And there are a little over 200 of those. What do you consider as the key challenges and even threats today, but also tomorrow for domain names? The biggest one I see kind of long-term is just thinking about the relevance for domain names for brand owners in the marketplace going forward. As social media handles, for example, have risen in prominence and relevance, what does that mean for the impact of having a good domain name? And then two, as we move toward voice-activated devices and kind of conducting commerce in that new kind of way, what does that mean for brands and for the domains that they own in their portfolio going forward? So it's definitely an interesting time. 
right? And I think that the primary key challenges, and, and I, in fact, I would go so far as to call them threats facing the, the domain name system right now. Are, I, I see two jump out at me as, as really the most troublesome. The first one is ICANN's desire to over comply with the GDPR, the European Privacy Regulation. The GDPR protects the privacy rights of individuals. It doesn't protect the privacy rights of uh, commercial entities. Uh, it also doesn't protect the privacy rights of everybody in the whole world. It only protects the privacy rights of Europeans because uh, obviously the European Union can't legislate for the entire world. Um, the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, ICANN, has made a choice that they are going to apply the GDPR in a way that is the most convenient for uh, its contracted parties. So as a result, we have a European law that, at least in the context of the domain name system, is being applied not just to individuals, but also to commercial entities. Um, and not just to Europeans, but to everybody in the whole planet. This has resulted in a really bizarre outcome. So you, you would never go to a store, nor would a village that you live in allow a retail store to uh, come into existence um, where nobody has any idea uh, who is behind that retail store. But ICANN has hundreds of thousands, if not more, retail stores um, online uh, where you can no longer get information about uh, who the proprietor of that store is. It's a completely bonkers outcome. ICANN, having taken this position, um, is stoking the flames of those who complain that ICANN only acts as a uh, essentially a trade association for, for its contracted parties and doesn't really take up concern over the abuse that uh, uh, exists out there in the Internet. Uh, the second major issue I see is uh, geocensorship. There are some governments, uh, I think a small few, but very vocal, who uh, are aggressively pushing ICANN to censor the use of certain uh, geographic names in the top level. Those of us who uh, have grown up under the rubric of free speech um, will uh, find the domain name system more and more contrary to our uh, belief in free speech. Paul, could you please introduce the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, ICANN? ICANN is a California public benefit corporation uh, located in Los Angeles. Used to have a contract with the U.S. government, but there is no contract anymore with, with the U.S. government or any other government that sort of legitimizes what they're up to. Why is it such an essential and universal actor for Internet governance? The reason they are an essential actor in this space is twofold. They determine what gets delegated to the root. So they, in turn, have contracts with every registry and registrar, focus on the GTLD side uh, for now, and through those contracts are able to, at least at a certain basic level, have a kind of minimum standard of governance, let's call it a behavior, for those contracted parties. Uh, and again, the registries are the entities that are uh, offering domains at wholesale. So let's say verisimon.com. And then your registrars are the entities that are offering domains at retail. So say GoDaddy. You know, there is this connection that spans uh, geographic jurisdictions, spans governments, et cetera. The second is, you know, the idea of the multi-stakeholder model that they at least profess to follow individuals non-commercial stakeholder groups, industry, governments, all have a role in the policymaking process. Now, uh, I do think that kind of bottom-up process is uh, important. You are both members of the INTA Internet Committee. Could you please explain the key priorities of this committee and the results reached so far? 
Um, one of the things that uh, makes the Internet Committee special is that it's not just a committee dealing with uh, one or two aspects of how Internet affects branding, but rather um, all sorts of aspects related to how Internet uh, affects branding. And so the Internet Committee is uh, currently following discussions from the UN high-level panel on digital cooperation and has submitted comments to their global consultation. Uh, in addition, um, we have a subcommittee who that same subcommittee is organizing a young practitioners roundtable. Um, the social media online subcommittee is focusing on uh, in-house practitioner thoughts on social media issues. The legal resources and communications subcommittee uh, has created an acronym guide for the general INTA membership that will help navigate uh, the um, ICANN language. And uh, lastly, um, our Domain Industry Metrics Subcommittee is currently working on a relaunch of our survey related to uh, the cost that the new GTD program uh, has had on the INTA communities. Todd, do you also focus specifically on ICANN-related advocacy? We do. We have four subcommittees that are specifically focused on ICANN-related advocacy. First is focused on who is issues. Who is is a big uh, part of what is going on at ICANN now. It, it historically was a database of information for uh, registrants, a particular domain name. So if a brand owner were doing an investigation into a particular infringement or uh, perhaps uh, sales of counterfeit goods online. It was a resource, in fact, the most significant resource. The second is focused on what are called rights protection mechanisms or RPMs. Uh, these are specific measures unique to the domain name space that give uh, various forms of relief for trademark owners short of your traditional criminal or civil enforcement. Uh, the third is focused on what we're calling subsequent rounds. Brand owners are looking more and more at developing uh, their own GTLD for various purposes, and INTA as an organization has been involved in looking at what are the rules or the requirements that are going to go into if brands are going to apply for those in subsequent rounds, what that's going to entail. Um, and then the last is focused on compliance, which the way ICANN works is through its contracts with registrars and registries, those who sell domain names either at wholesale or retail. You recently came back from the 64th meeting organized by ICANN in Japan, in Kobe. These ICANN meetings help to gather all stakeholders to exchange best practices, work on policies. How does it impact the IP professionals and more generally citizens? Sure. So I'll highlight three. One obviously is who is and what is changing around that because of GDPR, which is something that Paul already touched on. Uh, the second are RPMs and what are potentially changing for those, um, most notably what are called the UDRP and URS, which I know are important tools for brand owners. And, and then the third is uh, what are going to be the requirements for entities that are wanting to apply for new GTLDs going forward, you know, for citizens more broadly. Part of the beauty of the internet is that it expands what is available to consumers beyond the traditional brick and mortar store, which was limited by physical shelf space, right? So whatever niche product you're into, there is a place for it online. The trade-off is you don't have that tangible sense of interacting with a product. You're not trying on a particular item of clothing or holding it in your hand, et cetera. And so there's a level of trust that you need in order to move forward with any kind of transaction online. 
brands go a long way toward enhancing that trust. But obviously, then that raises the risk that if somebody is misusing a brand, that adds friction to the e-commerce experience and, and erodes consumer trust. You know, here. So when you go to ICANN, uh, Kobe, and the topic is GDPR compliance, and uh, ICANN recently finished up phase one of what's known as the EPDP or the expedited policy development process related to the implementation of GDPR. That was uh, essentially a, a one-year marathon. Ultimately, um, the intellectual property constituency and the business constituency uh, did, were not uh, in consensus uh, with the phase one work. Uh, intellectual property concerns and law enforcement concerns were, in fact, an appropriate purpose. That seems super obvious to, to IP lawyers and I'm sure to law enforcement officers, too. Obviously, we need access to who is to know who uh, certain bad guys are. And, and sometimes the bad guys register domain names and they put up pay-per-click ads and all, most all the harm is directed at the brand owner. But uh, very often... They put up phishing websites to try to get usernames and passwords and other sensitive information, uh, or those websites are used to traffic humans. Uh, we have to be realistic grown-ups about what's on the internet. And the fact that we're now a year into it with no real mechanism to uh, ascertain who the bad guys are uh, is a real problem. But it's going to be very important for ICANN's legitimacy that it doesn't go two, three, four, five years or it has a disclosure mechanism, uh, people will simply uh, lose trust in the system and ICANN to, be, uh, to make itself obsolete is to ignore the need for access to who is data, which will uh, in turn make the, their version of the internet more risky for consumers. Talking now about domain name dispute resolution mechanisms, how do they work and do they address well, in your view, infringement issues? So I'll go on this. There are three main ones that I think everybody should be aware of, and two of which are related to the ICANN policy work that INTA has been involved in. So the first is the UDRP, the Uniform Domain Name Dispute Resolution Policy. So this has been around for quite some time. It applies to all generic top-level domains and some CCTLDs. It's one that we, for example, use often. The pros of it, it's cheaper, faster, and more efficient than litigation. The cons are that your relief is limited. So on the pro side, discovery is much more limited and different uh, relative to litigation. A lot of the jurisdictional concerns that you're typically going to have don't apply. It's much faster. The relief, though, is limited to transfer of the domain name. Um, so there are no fees. There's no monetary awards. There's no injunctive relief from a court ordering the bad actor not to do it again. Uh, but often, just practically speaking, for the online misuse that we see, getting transferred the domain is going to be a sufficient remedy. The next is what's called the URS, or Uniform Rapid Suspension System. It is intended as a complement for the UDRP. It is only limited to new GTLDs and some legacy GTLDs uh, that have adopted it as their contracts have come up for renewal, but not all, and notably not .com. And the pros and cons that I was mentioning before for UDRP, I would say URS has those, but more so. So on the pro side, it's cheaper and faster, even as compared to UDRP. Um, but on the con side, your relief is even more limited. We're not even talking about transfer the domain name at that point. We're simply talking about suspension of the domain for the duration of whatever the registration period was. The elements are the same, and I think we ought to take a minute here to talk about the elements. There's three main ones. Uh, one, that the domain name is identical or confusingly similar to a trademark or service mark in which the complainant has rights. 
two, that the registrant does not have any rights or legitimate interests in the domain name. Uh, and three, that the domain name has been registered and is being used in bad faith. The third that I think everybody should know about is what's called the ACPA, uh, Anti-Cyber Squatting Consumer Protection Act, which gives a cause of action for registering, trafficking, and or using a domain name that's confusingly similar to a trademark. In terms of kind of how this fits in the tapestry of uh, potential actions, your relief obviously is greater because now you are in court, um, but it's more expensive. Anything you would like to add, Paul? I can't get serious about having a policy that actually has a downward effect on cyber squatting. You know, it's simply not going to go away. And there's some very basic things to do, you know, to get there. So for example, you know, lose your pays. I think it makes perfect sense if you are uh, a cyber squatter and you should have to pay the other side's legal fees and, and costs. Todd, would you share a case study that you consider particularly relevant? Sure. So obviously we have quite a few famous brands in our portfolio. CNN is one of the most famous and, and one that is misused often. Certainly some of our entertainment and kids' properties uh, are misused often. Uh, but sticking with CNN, just for purposes of discussion and example, a lot of what we see are uses of the brand in a domain name in connection with, as Paul mentioned, some other kind of online fraud or misuse. Um, it's relatively common that we will see uh, fake CNN news articles that are intended to confuse those who view them uh, into thinking that a particular product or service was actually featured on CNN when it wasn't. Uh, there are multiple tools that we have in the toolkit to pursue that kind of online fraud, uh, but I would say UDRP and to a limited extent URS are certainly two. What should be the opportunities created by new technologies, deep learning or blockchain, that would change your practice regarding monitoring, disputes management, fight against cyber squatting, etc.? This is a great question. Uh, there, there are a couple of things. The, the big promise of blockchain, and, and I don't know that we've seen it yet, but the big promise of blockchain is that you'll be able to follow a particular good all the way uh, through from beginning to the end, right? So from the time the diamond comes out in the rough to who it's wholesaled to, to who polishes it up, uh, to who sets it on the ring, and then to who tries to sell that online. Um, and so in relationship to goods, it, it'll be consumer choice, right? Now we spend a lot of time and effort uh, fighting counterfeits, but in the back of our heads, we're kind of a little befuddled why uh, we're doing that in some respects, because we don't really believe that the consumer who paid $15 for a knockoff purse really thought it was the real thing, right? In some respects, folks who are buying the counterfeits, uh, you know, maybe have uh, some complicitness. But if, if blockchain actually, you know, brings forward the promise that it's promising, at least in relationship for goods, that should eliminate a lot of that. Things will either be, you know, certified legit all the way through or they won't. So that's kind of a neat thing. Uh, regarding some of the machine learning, we may see an uptick in the sophistication of, uh, you know, trademark and domain name. You know, hooray for more sophistication when it comes to, you know, trademark and domain name watches. But at the end of the day, uh, an algorithm is not going to be able to isolate that. How will domain names be incorporated into the surge of new products, specifically the Internet of Things? And what steps brand owners should take to make that as safe as possible? This, to me, is one of the real threats to brands. It's clever. It's interesting. 
Um, there are advantages to tying uh, all these little machines in your house to one bigger machine or to the internet more generally. Uh, but I also see it could be instant brand death. Just imagine that you have a blender and it has your brand on it and you make that blender and you're very excited about it and you connect it to the internet. I'm not sure why, but you do. Maybe the blender, you know, tells the news or something like that, or you can talk to it. But then imagine that the systems are hacked. A bad guy is able to turn on every single one of the, those blenders uh, while people are away at work. And those blenders cook all day and just spin, 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 spin. Um, and just say, you know, 10% of your half a million blenders uh, eventually catch on fire from being overheated. Uh, you know, even if it was 50 homes, but imagine if it was 50,000 homes are caught on fire and they have huge losses. That's instant brand death. Uh, nobody will buy those blenders again. Nobody will buy that brand again. The desire to connect it to the internet ultimately can lead to some serious problems. Trademarks have to stand for a whole lot more than just source. They have to stand for security. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why Todd and I go to these ICANN meetings and insist on relevant who is and other security-related issues. Uh, for any trademark practitioner who thought they would be able to avoid learning all about data protection and privacy and hacking and all that good stuff, um, bad news. We're all going to have to get really, really ready to be experts in that space. Now, could you share with us your secrets? How do you keep up with innovation? Uh, is there a blog or a publication, a book you would recommend to our listeners to know more about domain names and their environment? So the very first recommendation that I would make to any of your listeners would be McGrady on domain names. Uh, and then the <laughs> second would be McGrady on social media. Uh, and I'm saying that half jokingly, uh, but also uh, seriously. In terms of books, my favorite uh, is one by Jack Goldsmith and Tim Wu called Who Controls the Internet? Um, and then in terms of blogs, I'll give you a handful that certainly are in my role that I check on uh, to keep up with what's going on. Uh, on domain names in the domain name industry, I would cite three, Domain Insight, Domain Name Wire, and Circle ID. For kind of more academic type discussions, I would again cite three, uh, the blog from Eric Goldman, the blog from Rebecca Tushnet, and then Lawfare. And then on kind of internet issues more broadly, I would cite TechDirt and, and Torrent Freak. Now, I want to caveat that by saying for a lot of those resources that I just identified, uh, ideologically, I don't agree with the positions of their authors. What about you, Paul? I think participating within the INTA structure is a, a very uh, good way to keep up with the domain name industry. Uh, the other means of participation is to join the intellectual property constituency and participate in some of the comment writing. And um, there's a lot of information on the IPC listserv that, that gives a lot of good information about how things are uh, moving along. Uh, and then lastly, participation within ICANN itself to actually get to know the players and understand the politics, how it works. For those who can't go to the meetings, one thing that's completely free is participating in ICANN meetings remotely. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you, Todd. Thank you. Thank you. My guests today were Todd Williams and Paul McGrady, both deeply involved in the INTS Internet Committee that advocates the association's policies regarding the balanced protection of trademarks on the Internet. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for future episodes of Brand and New, a podcast from the International Trademark Association. If you liked this episode and think someone else would too, please share it. And to learn more about INTA, please visit INTA.org.